If you have a Bible and you want to turn to Ruth chapter 4, we're going to look at this chapter tonight under the title, The Redeemer at Harvest Time. And as the story of Ruth comes to a conclusion here in chapter 4, we see something more of the richness, wisdom, and love that are displayed in the action of God's grace. This is a book that is all about grace, God reaching out and doing for Ruth that which she couldn't do for herself, doing for her that which she didn't deserve. That's what God's grace is all about. And the first thing we see in this chapter tonight is the Redeemer who is willing. Boaz here promised Ruth that he would respond to her request to, to take her under his wing, to marry her, to care for her, and he would go and get this sorted out. And the background of what happens here were two laws that help provide for widows and the poor in Israel. First of all, there was the Leveret Law in Deuteronomy 25. And the word Leveret, it doesn't come from anything to do with the Levites. It comes from the word for brother. And this was the closest unmarried male relative would marry a widow to take on the responsibilities of the deceased. And so that his name would continue. So he would marry the widow, and any child born, the first child would be classed as being belonging to the one who was deceased. But there's another law at work here, that, that of the kinsman redeemer, which you find in Leviticus 25. And this was buying back for people, those who had become slaves, buying them back and buying their land so that indeed they could be brought out of poverty. They could have a living again. Now, Boaz said he would act as a redeemer, but because there was a closer male relative than he was, he had to be consulted first. He had the first right to take on this responsibility. And Boaz comes to the gates of Bethlehem, the gates of cities, that's where legal transactions would have taken place, and he discusses the matter with the closer relative in the presence of ten elders who act as witnesses. Now, the relative was happy to buy the land, but that, when he realized that the responsibilities would also include taking on Ruth as his wife, he then was reluctant. He was happy to do that which was convenient and indeed would benefit him, but unwilling to do that which he thought which would jeopardize his own plans for the future, his own plans regarding his family. He also was concerned probably for his name being damaged, his reputation being damaged in marrying a Moabite. So that's all part of it here. The man was an unwilling redeemer when he considered the cost. But Boaz, on the other hand, he was so different. Already in the book of Ruth, you can see in chapter 2 and the incidents and the gleaning in the field, he was a man who was so caring, so generous, so kind in his actions to Ruth. And here again, he sees, he shows just as his nature, his heart, his love, as he's willing to take on this responsibility. Now, as we consider the difference in these two men, we see, though, that doing the right thing will, in the end, always pay off. One man was reluctant because he was concerned about his name being preserved. He didn't want the first child that he would have that would carry the name of Malin, who was Ruth's first husband. But Boaz, on the other hand, he had no such hesitation. He was prepared to do the loving and the right thing. 
And I say, you know, doing the right thing does pay off in the end. Because think of the first man. He was, wanted his name to be preserved. What was his name? We have no idea what his name was. The story doesn't tell us his name. His name is long gone. His name is forgotten. Whereas Boaz, who takes the risk, Boaz's name is remembered, and even today, children are named after him. In the unwillingness of that closer relative, we have a tremendous contrast with the Redeemer who is Jesus. Jesus is the one who was willing to sacrifice everything, His name, His reputation, His life. He was willing to sacrifice everything in order to redeem His people. Jesus was like Boaz in His willingness and His generosity, but accepting Jesus, of course, is on a much greater scale. Jesus is the most willing, generous, caring, and sacrificial Redeemer there could ever be. It's interesting here that the, the reputation of a person's name, their name being prolonged is behind us. Jesus was willing to allow His name to become mud. He was willing to come and to live in Israel, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be scorned by the religious leaders and others. Even today, Jesus watches and listens as people mock His name. Why does He do that? He allows wickedness, He allows evil, the mocking of His name to continue because He's a loving Redeemer who still wants to save people. And in the end, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess Him as Lord. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. You see, in Jesus, doing the right thing, doing the loving and caring thing in the end will always work out for good. Learn from that in our own lives. Follow the example of our Savior. So we have the Redeemer who is willing. And then secondly, we have the Redeemer who is righteous in verses 7 to 12. In this plan to provide for Ruth, Boaz is very keen that not only that he will do the right thing, but that he will be seen to do the right thing the right way. He made sure that when he spoke to the other relative, it was done in front of ten elders to act as witnesses. The agreement with the relative included the symbolic handing over of a sandal there in verse 7. Now, that's a very strange action in my head is how the fellow walked about after that, and we don't know. But in Joshua 1 and verse 3, that's possibly where it comes from, where it says, the Lord says to Joshua, every place that you, the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you. And in the relative taking off his sandal and giving it to Boaz, it was like him saying that he would not be stepping on the land that was now going to be redeemed by Boaz. He wasn't going to step onto the land of Ruth's family. Boaz speaks to assemble elders that they are witnesses, and that indeed the land and Ruth now by rights would be his. And this the elders confirmed there in verses 11 to 12. So Boaz not only did the right thing, he made sure it was seen that he had done the right thing in the right way. And as we think of Boaz being a redeemer, he was a righteous redeemer, doing everything 
the right way. And this, of course, again points to Jesus. Boaz fulfilled God's law, and Jesus spoke of how he had not come to do away, to abolish the law, but he had come to fulfill the law of God. Romans 3 speaks, in a sense, about the dilemma that God had. How could He be a righteous? How could He be a, a just God and at the same time justify sinners who had broken His law? For God's justice to be satisfied, God's law had to be satisfied, and Jesus did this by His perfect life of obedience. And that's a staggering thing. Like, Can you imagine that? That Jesus, from a boy, a young child, he perfectly obeyed God's law. Never once breaking it, never once failing to do what the law required. How staggering that is. And then he died on the cross because the law required that the sin of people be punished and be punished with death. And he acted as our substitute, again, to fulfill the requirements of the law. And when he cried, it is finished, that's a legal term, he is saying, it is done. I have satisfied the law perfectly. He is the righteous Redeemer who has satisfied the righteousness of God and the righteousness of the law through his obedience and through his death. And we need to understand that for us to to get to heaven, for us to be saved. We have to be righteous in God's sight. Many religions of the world today, they think that if you do enough good, it will outweigh the bad. And hopefully, if you've done enough good, you'll have enough to be right with God. But the Bible tells us there's no hope in that. Even our good deeds are like filthy rags in the sight of God. For all have sinned and fall short, we're told. But now our righteousness is revealed through Christ, through trusting in Him. His perfect life is taken to our account, and our sin is placed upon Him on the cross. That's the only way you and I can be righteous. That's the only way we can be right with God. And if you have trusted in Jesus, and when the old devil comes to you and, and brings home to you your guilt and your feelings and says, God can never accept you, Point him to the cross. Point him to the cross. You're righteous if you trust in Jesus. You're righteous because of Jesus. So we have the Redeemer who is righteous, the Redeemer who is willing, the Redeemer who is righteous, and thirdly, the Redeemer who gives in verses 13 to 17. Boaz's marriage to Ruth brings both love and security into Ruth's life, and also the life of her mother-in-law, Naomi. The birth of a son for Ruth adds to the security for her and Naomi. Remember in the days before any sort of social benefits of that, that indeed your security in your old age came from children. And most of this section contains what the local women said to Naomi this time. Look there at verse 14 as to what they said. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. 
For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now, it's interesting here. When they start speaking about a Redeemer, your mind probably initially thinks of Boaz. But the Redeemer now is the child who is born called Obed. Obed is called a Redeemer because of the hope, because of the security that he will give for Ruth and Naomi in the future. The name Obed means to serve. It appears that was the the local women who gave him this name, speaking of how he will serve. There in verse 17 it says, And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. So, these women named this child the servant. Now, let's go back to about Naomi for a minute or two. Remember Naomi? Remember when she came back to Bethlehem from Moab? She spoke about being totally emptied through what she had experienced in Moab with the death of her husband and the death of her two sons. She went away full and she came back empty. But now things have been totally returned. Now it appears that through the intervention of Boaz and the birth of this child, Naomi is full again. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. It is a wonderful, it is an amazing thing how in bereavement, little children bring such joy and hope for the future. Little children bring to those who have lost love on the reminder that life will go on. And little children make such a difference. And in every situation that happens, those little children, of course, are pointers to Jesus, to the child born in Bethlehem, because He is the one, ultimately, who gives us sure and certain hope, even in the most difficult of situations, even in death. He alone is the one that gives hope that life will continue, that what has happened is not the end, that light again can come into the darkness, that joy again can replace the sorrow. So here we see the Redeemer who gives this little child, who gives such hope and security for the future. And one final brief point, which is the Redeemer who is planned in verses 17 to 22. We can look at the story of Ruth in a very personal way, as a very personal story about what God was doing in this one family. But as Sigler Ferguson says about this, God was multitasking. Some of you ladies think you can multitask. You know nothing about it compared to God. He is multitasking in ways beyond our imagination. And with God, there is always more going on than we can ever see or understand. And the last verses of this chapter speak of the family line. And here we begin to see uh, the bigger picture of what God was doing and would do through Ruth's son Obed down to his grandson, King David. Look there in verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nishon. Nishon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. 
and Jesse fathered David. Now, why does this end this way? Well, this ends this way because it's pointing forward to the family line of King David, which would lead eventually to Jesus. But there's another significant reason why it ends this way. If you flick back in your Bible to the very last verse of the previous book, the book of Judges, and Judges 21 and 25, the book of Judges and Ruth is a story set in the time of the Judges. The book of Judges ends with these words. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That reminds me of Jesus when he saw the, the great multitude and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. People who were harassed. People did what was right in their own eyes because they had no shepherd, they had no king. And what we see at the end of the book of Ruth is that God is working to solve this problem for these shepherdless people. The plan was for a king who would come who would lead and guide God's people into the paths of righteousness. The story of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz was in many ways an ordinary story about ordinary people. But here's something we need to grasp from this. In the ordinary, God was working out the extraordinary. He was working out His plan of salvation, which would lead to Jesus. In the ordinary things of life, if we're Christian people who are trusting in the Lord, being faithful to the Lord, praying that we would be the witness that we're called to be in our workplaces, in our schools, in our universities, in our families, in our community. If we are seriously praying and seeking to live that righteous life before people, this is what will be happening. In the ordinary things of life, done by the power of God's Spirit, done with the grace of Christ, doing the ordinary things will lead to extraordinary things as God works out His salvation, works out His salvation in the lives of people around us. If we are faithful to Christ doing the ordinary, it can lead people to Jesus. I've used this illustration before, but it's a great illustration. Sinclair Ferguson on the, says the night when he became a Christian, he heard the testimony of a man. And that night, the man shared a testimony about how he had become a Christian. He worked in a, an office in Glasgow. And in that office, there was one big room, which was a, a typing pool. And every day he would go past the door. He didn't really could see much into it, but he would go past the door. And he was so aware that there was one typewriter that was always constant. Day after day he went past, he became aware of that. And then eventually he asked someone who worked in that typing pool, why is there one particular typewriter that is always constant? The reply, oh, that will be so-and-so. She is a Christian. 
And that was, in a sense, the last link in the chain for that man. And that brought him to faith in Christ. When ordinary Christians do ordinary things in the power of the Spirit for the glory of Christ, the extraordinary will happen among us. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to be faithful. We think of this story in the book of Ruth and how it begins with the unfaithfulness of Elimelech and Naomi and leaving the promised land, the place of your promised blessing, and to go to Moab. And Father, we thank you, though, it's a story that turns around to faithfulness. As Naomi comes back to trust in her Lord, as Ruth commits herself to Naomi, and to her God. And the faithfulness seen in Boaz and his love and his care and goodness. But Father, behind all of this is the amazing faithfulness of you, O God. And Father, we just pray that we would be a faithful people, that we would be a faithful people in living our lives and being witnesses for Christ. And Father, in the ordinary things that we would do in the power of your Spirit, that you would work out your extraordinary purposes in seeing people redeemed and brought to Christ. Father, we praise you for the Redeemer that he is. We praise you that he is the, the willing Redeemer, the righteous Redeemer. We praise you that he is a Redeemer who gives everything for his people. And Father, we just rejoice that today Jesus is not lying dead in a grave in Israel. But today he's seated at your right hand. He's ruling and he's reigning. And he is building his church. And amazingly, doing it through ordinary believers, even like us. Oh, Father, grant that we truly are the redeemed, truly belong to Jesus. And any who are not, draw them even tonight. And when we know Jesus, may we live faithfully for his glory and honor. In his name we pray. Amen.